Brendan, why are you dancing off camera? Not enough space with the green screen, Rich. Do you know that for the last like two months, this is the song I've been using to pump myself up before the podcast for some reason? I don't think I know this song. Welcome, everyone, to episode 93 of the Light Shed. 94. Sorry. Of the Light Shed podcast. Do not question his word, the word of the great Rich Greenfield, who always knows what podcast number it is. And we are here with Walter Pysik, who always tells me the wrong podcast number on purpose before. And myself, Brandon Ross who can't keep track of anything. Is that how the good Lord works by just destroying everyone's PAs? <laughs> Is that how he works? <laughs> well, that crypto is actually holding up better than, uh, than my stock portfolio. That's for not sure. really rich. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take a, a little glance We're at what's happening. Oh, no. oh, wow. Thoughts Holy and no prayers. Boy. Thoughts Shit. and prayers. Look at the ETH 2777. Um, what do you care, Walter? You had such an enormous betting weekend. I saw right off, I messaged all my friends out of excitement for you when you hit the OBJ first touchdown on kind of like, a, what was that, 10 to 1? Yeah, uh, no, it was more than was that. It? I can't remember the number, but he also got me the longest. He got a reception. I took the over-under on his 23-yard reception, and had he unfortunately not gotten hurt, he would have clearly cleared the over-under on yardage. So, so thank you, OBJ. Blind. Well, at least someone's making money on um, sports betting, Walt, because investors surely aren't. Um, if you, I look at my screen now, what's uh, DraftKings down right now as we speak, Rich? Coming uh, off the, the call. DraftKings is down all of 21%. And- hey, but who's to talk that- this week? My buy-rated Roblox down, I don't know, what was it, 26 on earnings? Roku down 25 on earnings? That's the kind of week Roblox down another 10% today. Hell yeah. Sub-50. Let's go to the moon. What's up, Walt? <laughs> it's given everyone at my, the Super Bowl party I was at was like flexing on their 1000 or $2,000, $3,000 promotions. It's a shock that maybe... There might be some issues with these companies. <laughs> <laughs> they're for they're 1,000. Um, Although well, I have one particularly annoying person at my Super Bowl party that had bet on the Rams, but with points. And I had, I had gone the other way on a number of different money line points, whatever. I had I was bets all over the place. And he was like all fired up at the end of the game when the Rams scored the touchdown. I'm like, dude, you didn't fucking cover. So sit the fuck down. <laughs> so now he's got his 1,000 bonus. And he's like, oh, well, his shit. bonus went went away. No, no, he has to. Ex- no, now he, that was his like effective head. So he lost the, the bet, but still has the bonus. Right. But now he's got to spend that in a week. And he's like, what am I just going to spray it on a bunch of basketball games? <laughs> like, I don't even know. Yeah. I mean, should have bet on. I hit last night on the Sixers. Philadelphia seventy six. I did. I did a live night. bet um, last night because I could I could see yeah, Embiid the, just. But by the uh, he was yeah. monstrous. You want to know who else last night looked really Ooh. really nice? 
Maxi. Ty Maxi. How those Bitcoin Maxis feel? Okay, we're we through guarding him. Okay, we can't. We can't. We can't talk about this. Let's let's talk Super about ratings. let's soft move into sports like off the top, and then we'll address all of the PA and just market destruction in general this week. Well, well, let's go, Rich. Just, well, well, I, you know, since we were talking about DraftKings, why don't we just start with DraftKings? Just because I think Walt's point is like. How is anyone making money? And I think the sort of the takeaway from DraftKings earnings today, this is Darren Ravel's tweet after they printed this morning. DraftKings says they're contribution profit positive in five states and will be contribution profit positive. Say that 10 times fast. In another five in 2022. That sounds like the term that that Charter uses to claim that their wireless business is positive when they just exclude a bunch of costs. It always goes back to how much Chuck could this, Woodchuck, Chuck, if Woodchuck could Chuck. When, when I started my career, I worked for this guy named Richard Simon, and he would always talk about how companies kept adding on letters for EBITDA, like it was like EBITDA, and he kept adding on things. And eventually, we were just going to go to earnings before expenses, like just do EBE, like just, you know, which is essentially oh, revenue. You mean revenue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what I, the, the joke he would always have of like, and then we how many things can we adjust for? To bookings, and then <laughs> we move from bookings to ARR. Right. And we moved right. from ARR to MRR. I mean, that's effectively what WeWork did with their whatever they, they called their EBITDA. Correct. Correct. Uh, so phrase means without the cost of user acquisition, which is all what shareholders want to know. And I think it sort of speaks to what you were talking about, Walt. Everyone's talking about the flexing of how much money they got for free. No wonder that DraftKings is talking about the fastest they've ever gotten to a number of players in a state was in New York because the promotions were obviously bonkers. What did, what, did the, what was the number that they put out? They there? just talked. I, I forget the, the number. Spending. It was, it was the, absolutely positively insane. But it was also the number of players was the somewhere. fastest they'd ever gotten to that number of players. And you know, look, they said they would be EBITDA profitable by the by Q4 2022, excluding the launch of new states. But obviously, they're going to launch new states, and so I think the problem with the stock is well, just sort they're of they're saying that the mature states will be EBITDA positive. Okay. The problem is competition. I, I, the, I guess the real question is competition. I mean, this is the same, by the way, this is going to be a theme this week. So like, let's kind of like get it out there now. All these, you know, more nascent slash growth industries and they're jockeying for position because story stocks were a thing and valuations were being driven um, by story. So um, to to build market share um, or subscribers or users um, at at um, to the detriment of profits. It's streaming, it's um, crypto exchanges, metaverse, it's sports betting. Well, metaverse is interesting because when you start to talk about Roblox, you're talking about a company that's way too free cash flow positive for what they right. should be but we'll get into that later um but, but you know the, the one of the companies is just when you talk about story stocks it, what's funny brandon is that you're sort of highlighting sort of this fantasy um fantasy sports into sports betting but you know a fantasy that was sort of pulled over on everyone investors was fubo right like they talked up sports betting literally a year ago i mean that was all the talk a year ago was we're entering sports betting we're launching and going to launch into all these markets and as the luster From comes the off of sports office. betting right <laughs> the dental office that you drove by last week 
I don't know. It's just sort of fascinating that if, if DraftKings can't get it to work and make real money, how in the world is tiny little Fubo going to make any money in sports? Well, betting? It's, forget Fubo. I mean, it's just, it's a very, very competitive market. There's going to, it's going to shake out at some point. I think investors are no longer giving the benefit of the doubt to companies who are you know, spending for, for the sake of top line growth. Um, of any regard that's that's one of the big themes this week and you're seeing it in sports betting and by the way that's to the benefit of who and we brought this up i don't know however many weeks ago like msge in new york all those deals that sure. are getting done on the sponsorship oh, side about all twitter, the advertising that twitter, twitter talked about how it's been a huge benefit to twitter crypto and sports betting have both been yeah. big tailwinds advertising wise for their dr business um, Super Bowl wise, though, it was. Oh, my light just fell. I don't know what the hell. Wow, that was pretty crazy. We I will. didn't get hurt, though. Should I we edit it hurt. out? Maybe no, the light I think it should actually fall, adds. Rich. Rich, the light needs to fall because your wow. lights are what make you look crazy colors every time. Remember? Uh, I think I actually look quite nice. You actually do it. look, you, you got the light correct this week. Good job. The, 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 yeah, this is a good ring light uh, in this office. Um, ring light. The Next New York Times. I'm falling this asleep year's... over here. Are you guys done with this boring thing? <laughs> what the hell? Be good, nice. Good Be sidebar. Nice. Good sidebar on the light. <laughs> Brandon attacked me on my light and my lighting and my. I'm not red or green this week. That's the big news. I, no one talked about. It. Not red nor green. But the Super Bowl. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. This year's Super Bowl drew the game's best ratings in five years with an average of 112 million viewers across television and streaming, according to NBC Universal. Yeah, look, the, the reality is it, what's funny is that it's the only sport that's really working. I mean, the Olympics are get down 50 percent going on the same time as the Super Bowl. Super Bowl just NFL just continues to stand in a league of its own. And that's it. I, I predicted 103 million viewers up from 96 million last year. It was even better than I thought. And I think it was just the playoffs leading into the Super Bowl have just been tremendous and interest in the NFL continues. And to was rise. streaming incorporated last year? Yes, oh, that that was apples to apples, I believe, in those numbers. Okay. Good halftime show. To your point, the playoffs that led into it, um, a number of different factors that I thought made this year. First, fans getting back in the stadium, so that yep. that was kind of novel after two years of of horrible um, video because of the lack of fans. So a lot of things, except for the teams, you know, two boring teams that probably didn't deserve to be there. But other than that, the game I thought was was fine. Like, I don't mind defensive battles, but you know, Rich, you know, years ago when the Super Bowl was in uh, New York, Verizon had this big tent and like Super Bowl was this thing to kind of prove that your network could, could uh, perform. These guys are still doing this. I mean, you know, Verizon had a, had a command center and they spent a hundred million dollars and they spent a hundred million dollars on every basic stadium that goes out there. It just seems like that didn't resonate as much as the commercials for fixed wireless um, where they had the cable guy out there, which was a great commercial by Verizon, but the kind of the battles of like, you know, who had the most data or who had the fastest speed test in the stadium didn't seem to resonate that there wasn't as much Twitter chatter about that stuff more so in the commercials about attacking um, the home broadband market than performance in the stadium. And it kind of underscores this, this thought of like, you know, is there differentiation you know, and these wireless carriers and, you know, is there reason for someone to switch based on performance, despite all the spectrum that's getting deployed by T-Mobile and now Verizon um, more recently with C-Band? 
a couple of two or three years ago, you had me switch to T-Mobile. Where am I switching to next? No, first he had you switch to the uh, Altis. No, no, no. I accidentally switched to Altis. Let's just be honest. I accidentally switched to Altis. Biggest mistake act- I've ever made. What do you made. mean accidentally? Because it was a mistake. It was a fundamental By the mistake. way, that stock's at 11 bucks. <laughs> Dude, cables, I mean, it, it, they haven't even felt the pain from anything yet. That's the funny thing. Anyway, so the, is what's the prediction for next year? Will Will Verizon spend an, well, I don't even know what stadium is it in next year? Will Verizon spend another I don't know where it is dollars and have a you know, know where it is next year either actually meaning like why Doesn't are they spending matter. on to focus just, on this because no one enough. no consumer even cares it's boring it's like it was right. interesting when you did it five years ago when you know new technology were getting deployed um but now it's just like who cares like the again the ads with the cable guy for verizon home broadband i thought were very compelling um they were really good arizona super bowl next year Lovely. If you're the only place I've ever attended one. Nice. So I sort of joked that the Coinbase commercial I thought was crap, where they had a dancing QR you are, code. You are to use your favorite term, Rich, apoplectic. Well, no one in my in my Super Bowl party, and there was probably twenty people there, thirty something like that. No one pulled out their phones to follow the dancing um, QR code. But apparently it was very successful. Yeah. Coinbase spent 14 million for a QR code to bounce around for 60 seconds during the Super Bowl. And it worked. The app went from 186th in the app store before the game to second overnight. Incredible marketing is what Joe Pompliano tweeted out. And it's just, it's funny because, you know, I mean, it's down to 80 now. So it's obviously, you know, fallen pretty far back, but it definitely worked as a, well, look, I think what's interesting is an on TV ad drove an immediate action of people downloading whether they use the QR code or just search for Coinbase. It's just fascinating. In addition, it- in addition to the brand advertising benefit, because it sure. was one of the most talked about Super Bowl commercials. Sure. But I mean, right here, Ian says it into a short term CAC efficiency play. Like the, the amount of downloads that they got, signups that they got on that 14 million bucks. Uh, what's their CAC? Right, but the, but the, but if you look at his next line of that tweet was get ready for crypto companies to be the next sports book. So it sort of oh, ties yeah. to what oh, you were talking right. about. It's like actually, yeah, perfect, perfect. No, I and know. It but does it, does and by it the really way, matter? we t- we talked about like kind of sponsorship in stadiums, um, stuff like that re- regarding sports betting. Every stadium now, every every arena has crypto sponsorship. Right. All of a sudden, we were watching, you know, obviously the Sixers game last night against Milwaukee. And right at the base of the hoop in Milwaukee was a Coinbase ad or sponsorship. They're all the same. And it doesn't matter where you really store your crypto. FTX, right? like it Arena. But I'm saying it doesn't really matter. I mean, I use well, Coinbase Pro, but like, does it really matter? Uh, Walt, do you well, want to? Uh... I mean, <laughs> there are many <laughs> different exchanges, but you just said it. I use Coinbase Pro. So most amateurs go in and use Coinbase Pro. So apparently it does matter. Because that's what well, the one that people feel safe with, Coinbase. Unless you want cold storage like Chrome. Oh God, don't even start with me with that. <laughs> Next. Cold storage. Next. Brandon, Roblox had a is still having a very, very tough week. I think, you know, it's it's sort of funny. We sort of were crapping on the metaverse after Zuckerberg blew up on earnings with yeah. Facebook a couple or Meta, I should say Meta. And they're not even it's not even Facebookers now. Now it's Meta. I forget what the word is. There's a new word for what Facebook employees are called. 
Oh, meta, some real black. Me, oh, sorry. Shit. Meta mates. They're called meta mates because they, everyone wants to be friends. Now it's not move fast and break things. It's like move fast and work together or something, some BS like that. But what's going on with Roblox? Um, okay. So obviously, obviously pretty severe reaction on the print um, going into the print, the word on the street, the bar. And for those who are not familiar with how the kind of like hedge fund whisper world works is generally, you know, before a company reports, everyone's kind of like calls around, Oh, what's the bar on, um, on earnings or in this case, bookings and DAU. And the, the bar after a severe sell-off here was, I don't know, December was going to be up 55 off of November and January down 35 off that. They came in plus 77 on December and down 40 on January. January did not look good. The stock sold off. Then the Bloomberg start coming in. Roblox has missed every single quarter and month since they started reporting, so on and so forth. So what we wanted to do was take a step back and we looked to see where estimates were in in April when they direct listed and where the year actually came in and then kind of took a peek at 22. So we we were well above um, 21 or nicely for above the street for 21 at the outset we had 2.17 billion of bookings and 37.3 million average dau they reported 2.73 billion of bookings and 45.5 million dau so taking a step back and this narrative around you know they've done nothing but miss reopening has destroyed them so on and so forth hasn't actually played out that way Right, and they've fact, crushed expectations. They've, they've crushed expectations. They basically crushed expectations along. Now, street numbers came way the fuck up as they were beating expectations, and people forgot that there was going to be some kind of reopening effect. And we have seen that from a DAU perspective in the United States. There's, there's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, DAU has declined over the last couple of quarters in the US. But what's interesting is MAU and the number of accounts actually continues to go up. But people so, are just playing a little. Those but people same are playing, are playing less. less. And the reason is kids were not in school and were able to play all week during the week. And now mm -hmm. they're only able to play on the weekend. But so there, the big bear thesis on Roblox now is that it's over. They peaked in the US. The US sure. is the market that monetizes and it's over. But, it but actually, your point is there's more but, MAUs. But it's not the case. You actually have more people using it. And what's interesting is that those more people actually are older than the core demo. So the, the business is actually aging up. And the big bear thesis at the beginning was this was only for tweens they're going to age up. So what but monetization will take now, more time. It monetization trails. Well, user okay. So mon the monetization issue is directly correlated to DAU. So you have, they're still growing on the top line, 
but you've you had a bit of a slowdown in January. I'm not going to get into it, but there were gift card reasons for that other things that played out, which is why January um, was a little bit slower. But as far as I see it, the only thing that's a problem with Roblox right now is nothing to do with the business. It's kind of the cadence of when they saw this slowdown due to the pandemic, which they will lap in the spring. Everything else is way better than we had expected it to be. And we're in a different market. We were in a market that was supporting crazy multiples for a long time. And those multiples got cut. Right. But the point is the fundamental use case of consumers spending more time on Roblox as you look out over the next year hasn't changed. That's correct. Well, I don't know about more time more time because there is total in total less time in the US per DAU being spent but more but overseas that's, i but presume that's, well there's more users overseas also yep. right than there was but it's just you went from a 7 day a week all day kind of thing to just weekends and that needs to lap and you will grow from there. And things like voice are going to make it more of a daily habit anyway. So oh. we, have, I know there's been a lot of you know, revisions. There's been a lot of downgrades. We're as bullish on Roblox as we've ever been. Speaking of daily usage or lack thereof, you know, Walt always talks about sort of how he takes out his quest to it gets used for a couple of days and then it gets put into a drawer. Alex Heath has a VR scoop. Uh, Meta's social, so this is Facebook's social gaming platform, Horizon, has hit 300,000 monthly users, a 10x increase from when it was brought out of private beta three months ago. Zuckerberg recently said Horizon was core to our metaverse vision. The the point of this is like, first of all, 300,000, given the size of Facebook, is obviously irrelevant. But the bigger thing to me is just how do you make this a daily use case? Like, I just don't, I don't believe that this horizon environment of putting on a VR headset, a Quest headset and spending meaningful time is just a daily habit. I, you know, could you do it for a meeting? Could you do it for a workout? I, I guess all of those things are well, possible. Well, could it be a daily habit, but not an all day habit? That's the next question. It, it, and you're, talking, it, you're talking about VR in general. Sure. I'm just basically saying that I just don't believe VR is a daily habit for uh, as a mass market product, do I think there's a niche for it? Sure, but I, I just am still very skeptical that this is a a day. You know, unlike Roblox, where I think you can play in this metaverse all the time on any device, and you don't need a headset. Well, I'm just skeptical that the headset that's, is the, that's how Horizon will go to right. I think all of these 3D interactive platforms will be available on any device. It just so happens in the case of Meta, they're fully leaned so, into to use so why the start with the so why VR. start with the but why start with the most niche use case then to me it's like the by far the most niche part of the market for Rich, the, for metaverse. I, I say this all the time when all you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail right oculus it's it's that simple yep. and zuck for whatever reason and you know he bought oculus has believed that vr is the future and that that's where we're going to be spending of the vast majority of our time. So that's that's what they're pushing into. But what's important here is no one talks about Horizon at all. It's only 300,000 monthly users, but people ask, what, what are Zuck spending all of this money on? Well, building this platform, which is sort of like VR version of Roblox, 
with the kind of UGC creator tools, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the embedded social network is, is a big part of it. At the same time, Disney's got some news out this week that they named the chief metaverse or a metaverse chief, this guy named Mike White. I've never heard of him. He comes from the theme park. I guess he was a CTO or some executive over on the theme park side of the business. Shape it keeps talking about metaverse, Brandon. I don't know exactly if you have any idea what he you think he'll do. Warner Brothers is talking about it. I think it makes sense for Warner Brothers because they've got a big gaming operation that you sort of can see how DC Comics could create its own sort of, you know, world. I'm a little less clear what Disney means. I mean, this, the, the behind me is sort of the, well, the they physical represent. They have a lot of <laughs> content. Yeah. For- but they've never really done gaming in house. So like, are, you know, are they building their own? Like, Fortnite? how do they how do they build that that muscle? Yeah. What is and what is their platform ultimately look like? We know they're doing stuff with AR. We've spent time with at least one company in the private world that's working with them um, to. They're clearly AR interested in, the in in leveraging their IP. The question is: Is are they a licensor into this world? Well, so when they say a cheap, it seems metaverse, like they don't want to be. A licensor. It seems like they want to own a platform. So, I mean, that's going to be very expensive unless they're investing in building their own from even well, building. Well, their you own also you also have to build the muscle to sure. do it. They couldn't even build the muscle for streaming, which I mean, right, they, they had to buy they, Bamtech, right? They had to, they buy had to go out and yeah, buy Bamtech, that's right? That's true. When there were others, I remember talking to Chris Albrecht about the Stars platform. He's like. Oh yeah, we're going to spend forty-five million dollars and build exactly what Disney bought for a billion or whatever it was dollars for in Bamtech. At one point, Disney looked at purchasing wireless spectrum. I think both to use in their theme parks, but also maybe to um, launch a competitive communication service, leveraging their brand. Then they ultimately um, had a failed uh, MVNO, which Joe Galone worked for. Um, ESPN <clears throat> with the ESPN phone. I don't know if people remember that. It was a flip phone. Um, so, you know, it feels <laughs> worked it seems, on that. It seems know. to me that um, maybe Disney, you know, they're a large corporation. They brand is, is obviously important to many consumer facing applications. Maybe they can dabble and look at doing stuff and then they try it and they kind of half try and Google does the same thing. And then, you know, things get shut down or not even. Um, there's no follow through. Chapek keeps talking about metaverse. So. Well, but it's also been a hot topic. So does Nike. Like every, you know, everyone. It's one thing when Microsoft talks about it, but it's funny when like all these other companies that really it's not obvious other than licensing what their role is going to be. But we'll, you know, we'll say. I mean, you know, you you've talked about Epic on there, this. There could be so many experiences built off of Disney IP. Sure. But it's and, also when and you've, but as, you've seen Disney license out to epic as you've said for integration into Fortnite and others sure oh is that the move ultimately though bring epic and disney together and really build the next generation of platform wasn't mando filmed in real engine or whatever that thing is in the in unreal engine yeah i will say this i know it's crazy but you know i mean roblox is now down to what 10 percent of disney's market cap i mean it's I don't want to say that it's for sale Dave or anything, would but ne- Dave would I, never. I, I, and again, I, I, I hear like, you. I'm just saying that like the size of with this correction, that's a controlled company. Don't forget. 
I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying yeah. if you're if you're trying to paint a picture, it, it does feel like an acquisition, a big acquisition or a transformative. We keep going back to what is Chapek going to do, and can you really come out on? You know, he was talking to Julia Borson on CNBC that they're talking about how like they're going to be a, a, a big player in metaverse. I, I don't know. Without an acquisition, I'm a little skeptical. I'm sort of in Walt's camp of like. They're going to talk about it just because they're going to talk about it. And if they don't make an acquisition, it's just going to fade away and we're going to forget about it. Yeah, they're probably going to need an acquisition. We talked about how difficult it is to build a game studio. Now you're talking about a games platform with tons of different experiences, whether they're professional, which is probably the way Disney is going to go because it's Disney um, or UGC. That's just not an easy problem to solve. Brandon. When Roku was having trouble putting up their earnings release yesterday, you tweeted out um, right after they actually did print. Maybe they sh- maybe the the they should have stayed in technical difficulty because when they actually came up and actually reported, I think the stock right now is down twenty seven percent, and it was down pretty hard yesterday during the day as well. So, uh, and I think the stock what it's peaked at four ninety, I think, or four eighty, and the stock is trading one oh six four ninety, yeah. Um. It's been a tough run for Roku uh, in the last six months is sort of the fear of, it's really a fear from two sides. One is that the competitive landscape is far more intense. Yep. They keep talking sort of about supply chain more than competition, but I think the market is definitely worried about competition, especially as we shift from dongles to connected televisions. And Claire Atkinson's got a tweet on here in case you missed it, Roku's exploring a plan to manufacture its own TVs. Obviously, you know, the, I think, you know, we met Roku, Brandon, and we met Roku in the earliest days and the brilliance of it when we the met them. The dental office a, park. So you did. know what? We, but it was we a hardware company. Of, we, you know, we made fun of Fubo betting being in the dental office park. So was Roku. So it's, it's I don't true. know if you have a startup in a dream, head to a dentist's office. But the, the beauty of, of, of Roku, right, was that they moved from a hardware model when we first met them. To a software model. And that was sort of the exciting part of Roku. If it's going back to being more of a hardware company, whether it's buying Vizio, as we predicted, building TVs, either of those is a very different they, business they just, model. They just need market share. <laughs> but, but the problem is that's a very different business and a very different multiple than their core ad business. And you know the, the, the challenge, even on the, the ad side, is do they need a lot more content to drive it? Meaning, does the Roku channel and the amount of money they have to put into it going to be far greater than what investors are anticipated? And that's why margins are down a lot. I mean, they're talking about revenue being up 35% in 2022. Seems like an Going aggressive number. Going back to 2020 EBITDA. Correct. So flat right? EBITDA. So they're, inve- they're investing yes. and they need to invest for differentiation to gain market share, really market share of ad units, because that's what the business is at this point. Correct. But that is panicking the street. Two two ways. They're going to spend on content. And the Quibi deal actually was quite efficient. But now they have to renew all that crap. Well, and they, they just keep spending um, and, on more and, and more. And they're, building they're going to vertically integrate. Right. You got to spend. Content's not cheap. And they're competing against, you know, I mean, every company we talk about is spending more and more comp- you know, money on content. I mean, if we go to the next slide. And Look by the way, pa- there's now less time now that the pandemic is ending and there's reopening. <laughs> People aren't sitting home and watching content all the time. Uh, that is a really good Which point. is why if you look at 
like the Roku, I think the it was like the same usage, but way more accounts for Roku, right? Yeah, I mean, they Despite- were down it. Average time spent per average active account has been trending down the last few quarters, but this definitely the the, the year sense. over year change is worsening year over year. Now, you know, that's clearly pandemic comp is, is certainly playing into that, um, which is, you know, part of the issue is that, you know, they got a little ahead of themselves. And we've heard this from Netflix. I mean, we've heard this from a bunch of companies. This isn't a unique theme in terms of reopening. But what's what's sort of scary in terms of Roku trying to create their own content is everyone is gunning content. This is a slide we have from Variety. Paramount expects D2C content spend to increase to more than $6 billion by 2024. Now, they spent, I think, $2.2 billion last year. So, you know, these numbers are scaling very, very fast. They, you know, they talk about how South Park, which was on Comedy Central in 2025, is moving exclusively to Paramount+. Plus. So just, you know, more and more content on these streaming services, more and more investment spending from all of these companies. It's obviously why Paramount stock got crushed is people are just like with Roku. They're worried about the margin of this business. You know, as they are they spending to get subs and is there are they really getting the type of return? And are these businesses ever going to look as exciting as investors thought they were going to be because of the necessary content spending? The TAM for streamers is large. There's, there's, there's no doubt about it. And we talk about linear. A lot of investors are worried about that though. Moving to streaming, but break it down a couple of different ways. One us versus all of the international. And in the U S people are used to spending for content in international markets. You never had that MVPD ecosystem that you have here. People didn't have budgets of a hundred dollars a month to have a whole bunch of streaming services. That's first and foremost. Second of all, there's people have less time to stream than they did a year ago and two years ago. And there's going to be a shakeout in this, like there's a shakeout in sports betting and all of these other industries that are crowded now and relying on on, uh, marketing dollars. This is essentially marketing dollars. What's... Really crazy in my mind is how no one is talking about Apple in this whole content spend. Like they're literally this like dark horse that is just coming up on the outside, spending like crazy. Like the and I know in a two point seven trillion dollar company, I, it, this is not something that Walt, when he covers Apple, talks a lot about. But it's like the amount of spending coming out of Apple. I mean, they're now working. They we've talked about them working with Skydance Animation, which is where John Lasseter from Pixar came from. But now they're making a Brad Bird movie. Brad Bird was the guy behind The Incredibles. You've got basically the team at Pixar, Brad Bird and John Lasseter, making a movie together in 2025 that's going to Apple TV+. Plus. Like the animation lineup at Apple, you know, other than Disney, it's probably got the best original animation lineup over the next four years. Nobody's talking about it. There's no conversation in the industry of just how scary that is. Like they don't care. They'll put them in some movie theaters, but they don't care about movie theaters it's just the value add of Apple TV Plus. It's, it's going to become an essential service. And I just don't think people are thinking about Apple TV Plus that way. And the dollars don't matter to them. <laughs> Whereas they clearly matter to everyone else. Life is just not fair. Remember when, at like towards the beginning of streaming, when Netflix stock was going up all the time and they were spending more and more and more. And all the traditional media companies, including Disney, were like, how come they spend more and lose more and their stock goes up? Subgrab, right? Then Disney did it and their stock 
you know, performed on it. You know, Paramount comes and is like, we're going to spend $4 billion and the stock's down 20%. Life really isn't fair, is it? <laughs> I just think like the services side of the Apple business, it just to me is a great example of how, you know, Walt's talked about it a lot, but it's like, it's going to be hard not to subscribe to the service when you look at the amount of content. You know, I know a lot of people got it for free. I just think this is going to be one of those things that you're going to pay for on an ongoing basis. Roku said something about um, about how they expect a tailwind from the streaming competition because of the advertisements for the actual services themselves um, on on their call, and they highlighted the low switching costs of moving from service to service, yeah. and the churn on and the reactivation. That's going to be a big theme when you talk about average subs for all of the, for all of these. You're not in the MVPD world anymore. Well, speaking People of switching, move on and off. Well, talking about switching costs, like you look at CBS and NBC, this is awful announcing, are reportedly both interested in taking Big Ten rights away from ESPN and Fox. Remember, this is separate from the Big Ten network, which um, is owned by Fox, but there are broadcast rights uh, on ESPN and Fox. It's interesting for a few reasons. One, ESPN giving them up. We've talked about why should ESPN, they have enough sports rights of the majors. Like they don't need everything that they have. This to me would be a great signal of sort of Burbank putting pressure on, you know, on Bristol of like, you don't need all of this. You can survive with less. You don't need this much. And for CBS and NBC, to me, it's sort of this increasing desperation of we need stuff for Paramount Plus. We need stuff for Peacock. We can't, you know, it's it's actually easier to license sports rights and try to get people that way. I just, you know, driving to streaming services off of sports rights, I think, is a very short term strategy versus creating a portfolio of content that you can't leave. And so I love the fact that Paramount's spending more money and moving things like South Park. To me, that's a brilliant move for Paramount Plus over time. I'm a little less excited about, you know, spending heavily on sports rights because I just don't it's not global. It, you know, you don't own it every few years. You, this, these, these same battles keep popping up. So I just, I'm getting more and more skeptical of these sports rights battles. Um, should we move on to the last streaming story of the day, which is just uh, Televisa and Univision sealed their recent merger. Uh, this is from the LA Times Wednesday with the announcement of a new Spanish language service called VIX. And so we've got a, another streaming service, Brandon, like another huge Wade Davis came from Viacom. Well, at least this one's differentiated, right? Very differentiated. It, I mean, I think that's what's so it, interesting. It, it about appeals it. not to a niche. I mean, to a a fairly large market in this country. Well, yeah, and even and globally. Market, I mean, correct. Right? Globally. And and what's um, interesting about it is there's going to be just like you know Wade Davis, who's the CEO of, of Televisa Univision. He pioneered the Pluto acquisition at, at Viacom back before the Viacom CBS merger. But the VIX is starting off. VIX Plus starts off as an ad model. So it's a free ad supported incremental content. And then later in the year, they roll out their SVOD. And so it's really going after ad supported TV on top of that, then going after sort of the premium sort of Netflix and all the others that are trying to do probably Peacock, which you know has Telemundo inside of Peacock. It seems like a pretty aggressive move, but while it may be great for Televisa, doesn't sound great for the overall streaming space. It's just more competition coming in. Infinite content. 
Yeah, I think that's the proper word. Brandon, you want to do this one on privacy? I'll certainly read it out. Over the next few years, this is from Android, we're working with partners to bring the privacy sandbox to Android. Learn more about our plans to keep your data safe. But the funny part of this is sort of <laughs> what the, is the next, funny? <laughs> well, the, the next part of it is sort of the, the next piece of it, which is blunt approaches are proving ineffective. You know, the only company that's done anything blunt in the privacy oh, space yeah. is Apple, right? Like, so it's clearly Google taking up, you know, sort of a shot. Yeah, so at let's Apple. let's actually read that out because it's okay. kind of self-explanatory. Okay, this so hold on. Part two. Read it. Go ahead. Pull it up. We realize that other platforms have taken a different approach to ads privacy, bluntly restricting existing technologies used by developers and advertisers. We believe that without first providing a privacy-preserving alternative path, such approaches can be ineffective and lead to worse outcomes for user privacy and developer businesses. Burn. That's all I have to say. Yeah, that's a pretty aggressive aggressive Apple burn. And obviously, the IDFA thing has, you know been pretty shitty for everyone except Apple. So when you say burn, you think that any consumer or any normal person reading that statement from Google is going to basically take it at face value and say like, oh yeah. No advertisers. Okay. That's who it's for. Yeah. But that Walt's got a good point. Listen to Walt. Listen to what he said. Well, no, I just got interrupted again, but it's just the, the end point here is like, it's coming from Google. Like, why would you believe anything that they state? I mean, are you, are you kidding me? Like, it, this is all about the branding. And they've made their choices historically, as has Facebook. And when they say it hasn't have an, it had an impact, <laughs> like, okay, Apple hasn't had an impact. Check out the impact that it had on Facebook. That's a pretty big fucking impact. Oh, I, I think they're not saying that they didn't have an impact. They had a very negative impact. Sure. Is what they're saying. Yeah. They didn't have a positive impact. Right. So, so their claim is like, we're going to protect privacy, but not hurt your advertising. Like, yes, that doesn't that pass is, the sniff test. Well, they're basically saying we're going to do this very slowly. We're going to try to come up. Remember, Apple tried to come up with a solution called SK Ad Network. That, the, the SK Ad Network, which is what Snapchat relied upon, was supposed to be an Apple driven solution. The problem is it didn't work very well. And so what Google, I think, is saying is, look, we're going to work on making an alternative that is reasonably as good in a more privacy way, but we're going to do it in a much slower process working with our partners versus sort of the chaos, their word blunt. Well, blunt, but it was, it was a chaotic situation, but I think what's important for Walt, because I think Walt's point is amazing. No consumer is upset about IDFA. There is not one consumer saying, Oh my God, Apple's protecting my privacy more. And I'm getting these pop-ups like, no consumer got upset by that. So it was a business impact. It was not a consumer impact. Consumers have been totally fine with IDFA from what I can tell. Well, in fact, my, all the consumers who hate Zuck were probably happy. Sorry, Walt. That's okay. But my point is that the, the consumer, the consumer's view towards Apple protecting their privacy was emphasized because they went on the evening news or they looked at their stock portfolio and they saw Facebook down 25% and they said, Wow, Apple's actually protecting my privacy. You could debate whether that's true or not, but there was affirmation in the markets in a very public sell-off of a stock that was tied to Apple protecting the consumer's privacy. And the point is like, 
Google can theoretically promise privacy to the advertisers or saying that they will, but like the consumer is not going to believe that Google is protecting their privacy relative to Apple, period. End of story. And, And ultimately that ends up with market share shifting. And that's the same point you made about Facebook, Apple versus Facebook. Sure. Who Very won? Similar. No, no, no. Yeah. I, it, oh, we know who is, won. The operating yeah. system won. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Operating systems over platforms. Oh, platforms the other, over content holders. Can't, can't wait till you? Apple enters the metaverse. The funny thing is someone, Brandon, the other day, someone said that Fang should be renamed AG and just call it a day. <laughs> Apple, Google. Yeah, operate basically OS is basically the or OS, AG. yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, the joke was like OS equals oh, AG or something. Not Oculus. <laughs> AOG. Uh, okay, I think Amazon let's, might let, be in there also. Let's get out of the metaverse, and I'm not talking about the Disney communities behind me called Disney Storyvilles, where they're trying to get you to live in the world of Disney. But we'll actually go to music festivals, Brandon. This is from Lucas Shaw. The basic, biggest music festival in the U.S. is ready to party like COVID never happened. And the, we talked about the negatives of reopening throughout this podcast. Well, here's the positives, right? No COVID restrictions at Coachella. Live music, live entertainment is going to have a huge fucking summer. We already heard the kind of up 50% out of MSGE. You have Live Nation reporting next week. Uh, they're not big on guidance, but I'm sure you'll get some color um, about just how big 2022 is going to be. I mean, it's just sort of amazing, right? Like just how quickly that business is changing. And I guess, I guess the real test will be, what does the summer look like? How big is the summer from a, a touring standpoint? Well, we know supply is going to be enormous. The big question on summer is in, in international markets, are they going to allow gathering the same way they have in the United States, even going back to the end of last summer or in the UK. That's been uncertain and kind of like kept a cap on what numbers could be for them. And it just seems like COVID is is fading on a global basis post-OMI. And there's a real sort of um, demand or call for reopening everywhere globally, even Canada. (laughs) <laughs> I can say that. I can, so I'm going to Italy, um, flying tonight. I can say it wasn't, it's not an easy process. Italy is one of the countries that's kind of on the lockdown. Um, so All it's, those it's Super it's, Bowl it's, winnings. It's still like, exactly. It's still a hassle, um, to do this stuff. But I mean, look, look at the Super Bowl. No, not many celebrities shown on camera were wearing masks in the UK. You, you see these EPL games, um, shoulder to shoulder champions league. Some of them, not all the stadiums um, are full. So, you know, they talked about the Roaring Twenties being last summer. That really didn't materialize. So hopefully this summer, as we approach it, you know, we'll we'll get these rates down even lower and this can be our Roaring Twenties, assuming everyone's money doesn't disappear in the stock market. (laughs) Tinder said that they're hoping that 2022 will finally be the summer of love. That was in their earnings release. <laughs> I don't understand why Tinder wouldn't have done well last year because, like, if you can't go out to bars and and make it happen, isn't it just easier to swipe to get some action? Like, is wouldn't should okay. they have been doing okay. better? Okay. Not, every, okay. not everyone just shows up at, uh, at someone's apartment. Isn't that how it works? 
Sometimes you want to meet the person in person before you actually invite them over. Okay. But I, again, I, I have no. That's coming from this, so. from t- well, <laughs> neither you have don't dated date. since you're like 18 years old. <laughs> okay. okay, be nice. Be nice. This is going off the rails. Yeah, how's it off the rails? Neither okay. of you have been on a date in like 30 years. <laughs> what do you mean? I just went on a date with my wife last week. You know what I mean. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, so last, uh, second to last topic today, we've got um, Ticketmaster and Snap. Finally, this was from the Partner Summit last year that Snapchat held back in May, I think, of 21. They finally launched the Ticketmaster layer. And so on the Snap map, you're now getting concerts, events that you can actually buy tickets for and very easily just quickly invite your friends to join the event with you or to buy tickets with you. Clearly just an affiliate relationship. But to me, what's interesting about it is it's adding utility to the Snap Map. And we keep talking about Snapchat is not just an entertainment service. It's not YouTube. It's not TikTok. Like that's why it's not seeing the same type of competitive effects. It's first and foremost, a communications platform, but it's also sort of a way that you, it's a utility that you use for things. And so one example, obviously, is buying tickets with your friends or seeing where they are on the map. But then the other one that was interesting that got announced, I just saw this morning, there was a Good Morning America segment that you now can basically live track your friends. So like if you're in college and you're coming home from a party and you want your friend to watch you as you walk home, you can do live tracking on the Snap Map. And we've seen this as third-party apps have had this functionality, but building that functionality directly into the map to me, just shows how Snap is becoming a more important utility to this generation. And like that's why it's getting used. You don't go there for entertainment. Yes, you may look at a Discover story or whatever, but you're there from the utility aspect, whether it's communication or map. And I still don't think investors truly understand that utility aspect of it versus the competitive dynamic that they're worried about in terms of TikTok and YouTube and Instagram, et cetera. Uh, our last slide of the day is a little something a little oh, I've got that still queued up. I think Walt should sort of walk Ooh. us through this because there's a lot going on here. So why don't you just help us understand um, sort well, of I this, think fe- this whole I think Rich February. Well, we're just looking a year back. So this is a TBT on a Friday um, to February of 2021 when you know the markets were doing something different than they've been doing for the past week or two, which is crater. They were fucking rocketing. And someone someone had a picture of, I don't know if everyone remembers when Bezos, because we have a lot of podcast listeners, was super buff at whatever conference that was. And somebody's like, this is, this is the ideal male body. You may not like it, but this is what peak performance looked like. And our, <laughs> and our friend Chamath um, responded with a tweet, a selfie of him shirtless and buffed and oiled saying, you're welcome. Meaning like, we should be thanking him for posting a topless male fit body on the Twitter. Um, around that same time frame uh, in February, um, it was Chamath tweeted. It was almost a year to the date. This was February 21st. I'm going to bounce to really fuck some shit up. Just FYI. There was 3,400 retweets. A lot oh, yeah, of he fucked some 40. shit up. All right. <laughs> and then, of course, this comes now full circle uh, a bit. And we have today's news, Virgin Galactic is, um, Chamath is stepping down from the board of directors. But I think that might have been after he had previously sold some shares. I don't know all the details there, but Chamath was kind of the SPAC king. I'm not sure what happened. He was the SPAC king. He was on top of the world. And he, he gave some memorable businesses now. And he gives some, he gave back in February some memorable interviews um, around that time frame that, that were very confident. Um, in his approach to the to the interviews and people that were trying to ask him questions, I guess. 
I mean, he he loved every SPAC. I think the problem is, I mean, media SPACs have certainly, it's been funny to watch. I mean, every one of these things feels like a race to zero. Like every Dra- single Draft one. DraftKings was a SPAC. Well, yeah, and it's funny. When I tweeted out how great SPACs were doing, how badly they were doing, people used DraftKings as like the outperformer. And it's like funny now. I mean, it like, is the outperformer. It is, but it is amazing how much. Where's the stock now? 18 bucks. So 18. every SPAC's so at 10, it's, so it's up yeah, 80%. Yeah, it's still up bro. 80%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was up like hundreds and hundreds of percents. Um, where's BuzzFeed <laughs> today? BuzzFeed. That oh is what goodness. the great thing about SPACs is you always Buzz know what the par value is. The, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing, right? It's a nice little. Because you always know that they start at 10. Yes, Rich. Is there a reason why they start at 10? Do we even know like why? Who picked 10? There's no like story of why they picked 10. What nice is this music? Number. This is the worst music. By the music. way. Who skill, picked this music? Skill. What is this? What are we even listening to? Just, I want you to guess where Skills is right now. Skills, I bet it's at $3. $3 and uh, uh, 81 cents. Dude, this whole and what, what's thing. wrong with what's wrong with the music? Adriano Celentano. Walt, enjoy Italy. I am very jealous. Brandon, enjoy Florida. Where are you going? Miami? <laughs> going to Let's see the, the in-laws. You're, you're oh, in Miami. And, and, and I will be staying with and staying with the in-laws this weekend. Oh, and man. I will be now in DC. when you say how cheap I am. You should have a nice hotel. But I will be in D.C. at a volleyball tournament one week before the mask mandate disappears in D.C. So I will be watching a volleyball tournament in a mask for three days. Don't forget your chapstick. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. Okay, that's episode 94, everyone. Have a great weekend. Take care.